My name is Sharzad Kiade. I'm a Gemini pescatarian, a mom of two wild little boys. I'm Susan Yara. I'm a mom of two also. This morning, I went to the bathroom alone. I woke up at five, put my boob in her mouth, and then she took a dump. Because that's what she uses me for. <laughs> that's what you're going to hear a lot of our stories and experiences in our crazy journeys to motherhood. It's fam for all moms, not for all dads, not fathers and moms, for all moms. It's going to be a good old time. You guys are going to want to stick around. Promise. So subscribe. Okay, well, that is the end of the Sweden-Switzerland game. Another unexpected result from a World Cup of unexpected results. Uh, Sweden making it past Switzerland. 1-0 goal from Emil Forsberg. And uh, they're going to be in the quarterfinals against whoever wins between Colombia and England. It's not the most unexpected result of the World Cup. Obviously, there's been so many. Um, But it was quite unexpected, wasn't it? However, the game did pan out you know, stylistically the way we would have imagined it too. Sweden sat quite deep. They soaked up an awful lot of pressure. Switzerland didn't really seem to have the, enough in their, for fear of sort of stumbling all over cliche land, enough in their end product to uh, get something out of it. They didn't create that many chances. And actually throughout the first half, um, not just with counterattacks, Sweden seemed to have much more of the game in their, in their, in their pockets. I'm still in cliche land. I'm still in cliche land. Help me, help the me only one you've it. not brought out yet is in their locker. Well, they did is... have it in their locker, didn't they? They had the book of cliches in Where the locker. Where is this mysterious locker? It's back in the locker room, mate. But then, presumably, you... Haven't got it on the pitch. But you <laughs> want to leave it all out on the pitch, because <laughs> that's what they, leave it. they do. I guess it's what they put on before they go out to the game. It the lives boots. in their locker. So, let's say, for example, a striker had a great deal of tenacity as a footballer. I would imagine that that striker wouldn't be tenacious at all in their life because they leave it in the locker when they're not playing football. Just a little pocket of tenacity that yeah. they can grab. Footballers don't have lockers, though, do they? They have a changing room with, like, pegs and shit. Over the days, this podcast has become less and less serious. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Sweden, because they're going through. Um, Emil Forsberg, it was his first goal of the tournament. We profiled him before the tournament began as, as a, a player of particular... a young player of particular interest. Um, and... He did it. He did it for his. He did it. He did it for his country, didn't he, Alex? He did it for his country, didn't he? Well, it I don't know what to ask you. Being the World Cup, you represent your country. Yeah, Sweden were by far the better team. Mm-hmm. Um, we we knew what we would get from them. Uh, they're like Iceland, but with a bit more individual quality, possibly going forwards. Right. They for missed sure. an awful lot of good chances, didn't they? <sighs> the first fifteen minutes, they could have won game that game four nil. Out of sight. If yeah. Marcus Berg could yeah. actually score, and, and Ekdal um, as well got a couple Ekdal, of chances. Yeah, the, the couple of volley chances mm. that he he screwed up badly. Look, Sweden are are troublesome in all of the right areas for tournament football. Yeah, they defend really well. They have two banks of four. They defend quite narrowly. They are intelligent on the counter attack. So they won't commit too many people forward. Mm. They'll they'll wait until they can overman, just like Mexico did against Germany, mm-hmm. uh, just like Belgium did to win that game against Japan. Where they have a numerical advantage, they'll look to hit you hard. Mm. If they don't have a numerical advantage, then they'll play conservatively. They'll pass yeah. back to the fullbacks. They'll look for a long line ball. They'll try and get the ball back out of their territory and somewhere safe. And here's a good stat uh, to to show that as well. Uh, Switzerland had zero offsides, incapable of getting behind Sweden, and 11 corners to uh, Sweden's three. 
lots yeah. of blocks. But then at the same time, you know, Sweden are not going to be concerned about conceding too many corners because no. they've got an absolute giant in goal. They've got Grankvist at centre back. Mm. Um, so they've got Norwich City legend Martin Olsen to come on later right, in the game, make yeah, a make a win, lung bursting win the, run, uh, win the red card, yeah. almost get a penalty. I think that was a a good bit of decision making from the uh, ref there. But yeah. Sweden. Sweden are one of those sides where you can look at them and say, right, it's super clear what they do and how they play, uh-huh. but that doesn't necessarily mean that you know how to combat that. I think Switzerland could have done more trying to go around the sides. Yeah. Um, I think they... But they've got Shakiri and Zuba, both of whom cut in a fair amount, don't they? Yeah, and they looked more dangerous when Brill and Bolo came on right, yeah, and they did. provides a bit more of a direct and pacey threat, but pulling out mm. rather than tucking in, like you say. Um, you know, are, are Switzerland one of those sides where the FIFA ranking system flatters them? And I mean, I, I think they've been good so far this World Cup. They played well against Brazil. Mm. Fallon Barami's been excellent throughout the tournament. But um, they just didn't really have an answer to the way... It's this thing that we've we've talked about a number of times now. We've talked about it in the context of, of Burnley. We've talked about it in the context of Iceland, Atletico Madrid. If you can coach a really, really good 4-4-2... Yeah. Um, Roy Hodgson did it at Palace. Yeah. You can frustrate teams that look to cut inside, that look to create these overloads. If you just reduce the space further and further down, until your two lines of four are almost defending against each other, you might struggle to create your own opportunities, mm. but the opposition is just going to be frustrated time and again. Yeah. And, and if you've got the intelligence uh, and the organisation to make those two or three counter-attacking opportunities count when you have them, yeah. um, then you can win games. It's um, very intelligent, isn't it? And, and it reminds me, and this is going to sound funny, but it reminds me of Pep Guardiola. I know, it's a, I know it's a completely different style of football, it's a totally different tactic, but the reason it reminds me of Pep Guardiola is because of the way that Pep Guardiola sees a football pitch, and the idea that positional play, a large part of that is about creating overloads. The idea being that, sure, there are 11 players on both teams, but in this one area of the pitch, if yeah. you can make it difficult for the opposition player to kick the ball away, and you've got two players there, you're basically two on one, and there's this little individual incident that's occurring within the context of, of a larger incident. It's just that the larger incident isn't always the primary concern, and little things, you know, little. This is why little tactical tweaks all over the pitch can make a, a massive difference to the overall play. The four four two, of course, they, you know, particularly a team not so much like Sweden, but let's say Burnley do this very well, Atletico Madrid do this very well, seeding possession and uh, seeding space, and they compress themselves right down. They make the game happen in this, in what is arguably a third of the space of the whole pitch, and they refuse to let the opposition make use of space. And y- y- you can overcome... I mean, look at how well it's worked in this tournament against teams with players of undoubted quality who, without the space and without the time, just can't do anything. It's like having a tower on the edge of a castle. And the tower sticks out a bit. Yeah. A turret. That sort of thing. Yeah. And the enemy rush towards it, yeah. but they can only flood round to the sides. Yeah. 
So you create this section of the pitch yeah. within the penalty area that is bloody hard to get the ball into. Yeah. And if if the opposition are passing the ball around loads and loads in front of the penalty area, yeah. that doesn't much matter. No. Particularly if, like Sweden or like Atletico Madrid, you've got some absolute units that can defend aerial balls into the six-yard box. And also if you have opposition players like Jed and Shakiri, who, don't get me wrong, can definitely score a, long, a long-range screamer, but nine out of ten of them aren't hitting the target. Yeah, yeah and, and Sweden's central midfield are the sort of players that will throw themselves in front of the ball to block it, should that occur. What, what's interesting about these, these varieties of 4-4-2 um, is actually, I suppose, the what happens transitionally when they do get the rare opportunities to attack. Mm. Uh, and we made this point in the video that we did uh, profiling the group stages, because we haven't looked at Sweden otherwise, no. um, something we should probably redress. Um, they tend to attack a little bit more like RB Leipzig when they've got the opportunity. Right. No surprise that Forsberg plays for both teams. Mm-hmm. In that, the four four two becomes a bit more of a four two two two. So they they don't look to go really really wide. No. They will try and Klassen and Forsberg cutting inside. They cut inside a lot more, and and that allows the midfield base to keep quite solid. It allows the wing the the fullbacks to push up. To a degree, yeah. but not get massively caught out. Okay, um, that's quite an interesting difference from the the way that say Iceland and Atletico Madrid do it, which is to have wingers that do try and stretch the pitch a little bit more. Yeah, um, but okay. no, it's 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 great to see. It. It, it will be whatever happens. It'll be another clash of styles, regardless of who wins out of England and Colombia. Yeah. England and Colombia play the sort of way that Sweden will actually quite look forward to taking on, yeah. I think. Okay. Because I think the Swedish game will be well suited to, to causing problems for both of them. Well, we can talk about that more later. The next thing I wanted to bring up very briefly was a stat that I think only Tifo can provide, which is viewing figures on videos. Switzerland being quite low, no one cares about Switzerland. That's an interesting thing. For you. Look, we've made videos about a large number of teams uh, that are participating in this World Cup, uh, many many of which have done very well. Switzerland, uh, which was released uh, last weekend, I think, in terms of uh, viewing figures, is lower than the other videos. Maybe that's because people don't care about Switzerland, Alex. I think Switzerland have a perception issue in that people, people think they're very boring. Yeah. And actually, they're not. They're, they're clever. They they're do just, some interesting yeah. things tactically. People, if you haven't watched the Switzerland video, Do go and watch educate it. yourselves. Edu- educate yourself. Because otherwise we're going to stop bothering. We're not. We're not. We're not. Um, Phil, mm-hmm. you sort of watched that game a little bit, didn't you? Uh, what did you make of Sweden? Did you enjoy them? If England were to get through, would you relish the opportunity of playing Sweden or no? Um, probably more so than Switzerland. Yeah. I think that I think that Switzerland had a lot of opportunities to um to get to get to score a goal against Sweden I suspect England would be a little bit more um clinical surgical clinical and would, would have the, the, the more the clientele to do that okay um well, it can be. Personnel. Personnel. Personnel was the word, wasn't it? It depends. Personnel. If you work at the England bar, you definitely have. Uh, <laughs> they could be described as the clientele there. Um, no, I wouldn't have relished either of these sides, really, to be honest with you. No. Um, I think Sweden could definitely play a game that, that, 
a little bit of kind of roughhousing would, would yeah. maybe start to frustrate England. Although England have shown a lot of resolve in not really stressing out too quickly. So. Yeah. Uh, well, we made some predictions before the game. I think I'm going to claim this one because I said 1-0. Yeah, no, my, you've definitely got the point there. It's my first perfect prediction. Delightful for me. Uh, Philippe, let's go to make some predictions about the, the, the upcoming game. england Colombia. Um What do you think the result's going to be? england Colombia. I'm going to go for 2-1 to England. 2-1, OK. I'm going 4-1 to England. OK. Alex? I, I, I was going to say 2-1 to uh, England Well, you as can well. say 2-1 to, to England and you can have half a point each if you get it. Um, we have to do that. No, no you, can have no, the, you can have the same. It's not fun going for the same one. It's fun for me. Um, I could just play that forever now. <laughs> <laughs> Penalties. Fuck it. More rational than most of my predictions. Okay. I, I think... I, I don't know that it is, but okay. Well, I think these are two teams that could, could find in each other strengths and weaknesses that sort of balance out and it'll be a more even game than okay. a partisan England media will suspect. Whereas I'm just going to keep saying 4-1 England You're whenever they play. It's coming home! I think it is coming home. I think, and I think It might come home. I think we're going to win bigger and more easily than you expect. And I think you think Colombia are going to be more of a challenge than they are. And I think when England win this game comfortably afterwards, people are going to have to sit down and talk to themselves very seriously and say... Okay, maybe it is coming home because look, look at what's happened. <laughs> yeah, this is my dream. I dreamt it last night, and it will become true. Right. Um, I, I, I had a very weird dream last night. Would you like to tell the listeners? I, I, I was inside a house made of glass, uh-huh. and I could see a glass house. Yeah, sure. I could, I could see people jumping in and out of ponds <laughs> outside the house. How do you jump out of a pond? I, I don't know. It was, yeah. and when they came up, they were like covered in water lilies and shit, and then they were jumping in again. Okay. And Have that... you been reading Phil's diary yesterday? <laughs> <or something? laughs> no, you know what I've been reading. Oh, that's true. I've been yeah. reading one of the great novels of science fiction. That's true. It's I... called Hyperion. It is very good. And it's amazingly good. By Dan Simmons. That's reminded me. One if other you thing... haven't read Hyperion, folks, get out there and do it. And I'm not yeah. a big sci-fi fan by yeah. any stretch of the imagination. It's not sci-fi, mate. It transcends genre. It's just good literature. It's, it's like John le Carre is not a spy novelist. Sure, sure. He's just a good novelist who happens to write about spies. Okay, yeah. Well, Hyperion, Dan Simmons. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention was that we did actually get two responses from that conversation that we were having the other day that we threw out to Twitter, whether it's a miss when you hit the goalkeeper who doesn't move or whether it's not. And one response, both two responses came down either side of the argument, so pretty sure that is a reasonable opinion for me to have. Double you, uh, which was the name of one person who left a comment on SoundCloud. Thank you for your comment. I can't remember precisely what double you said, but it was something along the lines of... Uh... Can't be the real name. I'm going to look it up. Well, it's not that. It's just one letter. Fill the time, Alex. I've got no internet. So... Hyperion is structured mm-hmm. in a way that is similar to the Canterbury Tales. Oh, yeah. There's a series of, of seven pilgrims, and they are pilgrims, and you'll understand what I mean when you read it, which you'll have to do, um, making their way to initially to a planet and then within that planet to a particular destination. Hyperion! And in the course of that, they tell each other uh, the story of their previous relationship with that planet, which is called Hyperion. Uh, so far, um, I've had uh, the the general, the priest, the poet, and I'm in the middle of the scholar. 
Uh, I've got the order wrong though because the priest comes first. Yeah. But what's brilliant about it is it mixes up the narrative voices so that each character does sound distinct from one another and then the overall kind of frame narrative has its own tone of voice as well, which is the consoles. Um, it's a great piece of work. Joe, have you found the comment yet? Very nearly. We're having technical difficulties. Oh, but my God. I've, I've, listen, I've opened my personal hotspot. Uh, that's not a euphemism. That is a internet <laughs> term. Uh, and I am slowly loading SoundCloud now, looking for... Oh, here it is. So, the comment from W said, I'm listening, and it's a miss. Eat your heart out. So that's nice. Uh, but I did also get a Twitter comment from someone uh, that, that was a little bit... Uh, said the opposite. So, Alex, fill for time. Um, I've just, just had a comment on Twitter saying, in response to the England video that we did, loved it all, but Loftus Cheek is horrible. Andre, you're wrong. Yeah. You're so wrong about that that oh, you should reconsider good. your right to watch football. Oh, dearly me. Okay. Ah, Donald J. Trump re- <laughs> replied. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. President. Donald J. Trump said, Joe, you are wrong. And much I try and do it in my Trump impression. Uh, you're, uh, you're really, really wrong. No, no, you're so wrong. You're really wrong. That's not that bad. That's quite bad. If you guys can see the hand movements. Uh, Joe, you are wrong. A shot on target, even if it is a penalty... That is a say that is saved by the goalkeeper cannot be classified as a miss. Oh, that world is lunacy, says Donald J. Trump, with his small hands. Uh, okay, right. Well, uh, that'll politics aside. That'll be the end of that. Uh, we will be back after the England Columbia game to discuss that and uh, the, all the quarterfinals. Back in a bit. We're upstairs at the Old Red Lion Theatre. You might be able to make out in the background the screams of uh, delighted England fans. Down on the streets, a little bit of honking, a little bit of horning, and uh, that'll be because England won a penalty shootout, and I feel completely ruined. Apologies for what might be excessive swearing in this part of the podcast, <laughs> because I fucking love it. Uh, but I'm not really sure. I've got my phone still. I'm not really sure where to start, Alex. There's there's lots of things we could talk about in this game. Maybe let's start with the positive one, because I might say some mean things a bit later. The positive one is that England won a penalty shootout, um, and we were just saying outside, despite the fact that Jordan Henderson's penalty was saved, it was a very good save, and it was a reasonably good penalty. So I don't think there's anything to worry about in terms of penalty takers should that situation happen again. But that's something that we're really not used to, is it? And when Jordan, when Ospina saved Jordan Henderson's penalty, I think we all thought, it's happening again. It's, it's not coming home. It's not, <laughs> it's not coming home, though. It's, it's been shifted into a siding somewhere around <laughs> Richmond, and it's just Waiting in a lay-by. Idling, yeah. Next to one of those mobile burger units. Um, Kane's penalty, Rashford's penalty, I think particularly Rashford, mm. um, deserves huge credit for the way he took that. Trippier as well, after, Trippier, the, after the miss. I mean, uh, to be honest, uh, Trippier, there a better player? Trippier has been England's outstanding player this tournament, yeah. consistently delivering both in terms of his defensive duties on... The, I'm not even going to stop for that because yeah. I don't care. Yeah. Um, delivering on the right-hand side. Uh, his set play um, deliveries have been exceptional. Yeah. And the coolness with which he took that penalty, um, given that it's not a normal thing for him at, yeah. at club level, yeah. uh, was extraordinary. And I think... Yeah, there was there was nervousness when <laughs> there was nervousness when Eric Dyer stepped up for me because I think Dyer looked 
off the pace. That was clearly a change from Southgate towards the end of the game to shore things up. Mm-hmm. From a tactical perspective, that did make some sense. Um, although I probably, personally, I would have, I, I would have made changes earlier. I would have bought Loftus Cheek on earlier. Yeah. Well, um, let's talk about that because I think one of the problems for England going into the second half was that. They waited quite long to make that Eric Dyer switch, uh, at which point they took off Deli Alley. Uh, so Jordan Henderson pushed up, as far as I'm aware. And I think the problem then, that was before the Columbia goal, perhaps not expecting to play another 30 minutes, it took England quite a long time to find any sort of rhythm again. Yeah, very And you much really so. saw that the back the back lot were disjointed from the front lot, didn't you? So that system's quite delicate when there's little personnel changes like that. Yes, and and I suppose in that regard, it it does make more sense retrospectively now to to see why Southgate made the changes he did for the Belgium game. I'm still not saying that I agree with that necessarily, yeah. but I I think that you can understand now why those changes were made. I, for me, the crucial decision was not to bring on Loftus Cheek earlier, seventy seventy five minutes, right? Uh, and also Sterling, who uh, I thought was absolutely superb today. Yeah. Um, the amount of times that he dropped off to provide an out ball, his physical strength yeah. under those Colombian challenges to hold the ball up and allow England to relieve some pressure. Yeah. Consistently uh, selfless <laughs> work from him. And, you know. At five, at five foot five, he was holding Gary Mina on his back. Right. Giving uh, him a piggyback. Uh, and, you know, once again, there will probably be. Um, idiots saying that Sterling had a bad game because. Mm. He didn't run through on goal as much as he should do, or he didn't score or whatever. But just watch the game back and you'll understand yeah. how crucial Sterling was as an outball for England. Yeah. Colombia made a change in the second half and uh, moved Cuadrado centrally, partly to sit on Henderson and, and to try and restrict that uh, slightly deeper ball from England. Also by moving to more of a 4-3-1-2, it allowed... Colombia's central midfield three to gang up a bit more on on England's uh, two more attacking midfielders, mm. and Colombia started very gradually to come back into the game at that point. That's why I would have brought Loftus Cheek on, yeah, because he would have been a second out ball to hold it up. And take you really pressure, noticed when Sterling fouls, went off, yeah, massively. Yeah. So yeah. I, I don't think Southgate's game management was completely on point during that. Um, obviously, I don't, you know, I'm not being too critical because. Ultimately, England won, but I think um, that that yes, they wouldn't have been expecting that from Colombia at that last minute. Mm-hmm. Extraordinary save from Jordan Pickford. Yeah, just before which hand. was there was such a flurry of activity that I'm not sure there was even a replay no. um, shown, or maybe there was, but um, I, I didn't see it. To to save that at that point because that would have been such a deflating goal mm. to let in more so than a header off a set piece um, I think that that plus his save uh, in the penalty shootout were, were just exceptional mm, okay Phil I'm going to bring you in here because uh, you and I and Alex and Alex less so because he doesn't have any emotions were getting uh, quite visibly angry during the first half because of what I'm sure football Twitter is describing as uh, excessive football shithousery from Colombia, whose yeah. game plan seemed to be to come out uh, and ruffle the feathers beyond the reasonable, you know, and there were so many incidences of it in the first half. What did you make of all of that? As Alex said, that there's a, a going through Commonwealth qualifying, there's a certain amount of that you have to do to get through into the World Cup in the first place. Not to excuse it either, but I think 
that could have been nipped in the bug really easily by the referee sending a player off. Mm, yeah. um, I think Alex mentioned during the game that he seemed to lose a certain amount of authority. I, can't, I mean, I've been treated to see just this sheer amount of yellow cards yeah. uh, on the Colombian squad. Yeah. I think just like one red it could have been a very different game. Well, I mean, the first half saw the incident of Barrios headbutting Jordan Henderson, which I think everyone, certainly the pundits at half-time, everyone here agreed that that should have been a red card. Do you think, Alex, that there was a problem with the referee losing a bit of his authority during the game? I mean, it's, it's an incredibly difficult job. Yeah. I'm not criticising the referee, but certainly in, in the latter stages of that first half, the game just seemed to seem lawless at times. Yeah, I, I think, um, look, Colombia had a very, very clear game plan, which is weird because if they'd watched how England coped with Panama doing it, yeah. then they should have realised it probably wasn't going to unsettle England as much as playing properly was um, obviously they they looked at the situation looked at Hammers not being available and thought well let's just try and rough them up if I were the referee yes I, it's an extraordinarily difficult situation to be in had he sent a player off for possibly even two dissents like Falcao yeah. um, or for some of the stuff that occurred around the penalty that was given mm. the pissing about with the the penalty spot, all that kind of stuff. I think the yeah. referee would have been probably quite criticised for doing that mm. by potentially even by FIFA, but certainly by some sections of the the non-partisan press. Um, but at the same time, the referee has a responsibility to protect the players that are on the pitch, yeah. which he wasn't doing, no. and to ensure that he is he is still the arbiter of what happens. And the amount that Colombia got in his face, screaming, shouting... Wasting so much wasting, time. Wasting, I mean, minutes and three minutes were wasted mm. around that penalty, during which, you know, Colombia screamed at him repeatedly, sought to rough up the penalty spot to make it harder for Kane. Yeah. Something, he, there is only one person who can do something about that, and that mm. is the referee on the pitch <clears> at the time. I mean, my thoughts over the, the VAR incident as well were that, um, obviously, he got the, he got the call from... from the video assistant referee, but as the as the pundits were saying at half time, I think the call there is to go over and see it. And I and person, I mean, this is totally speculative, but personally, I think what happened is that under the pressure of the situation, that referee decided he didn't want to make that decision, and that if the VAR was saying it was a yellow, he was just going to give a yellow, and that wasn't his responsibility. I mean, just back to the uh, the mobbing of the referee by Colombian players for that long. Let's not forget that not very long ago, that is precisely what. Uh, Jean Buffon was sent off for yeah. um, essentially for you know, screaming in the referee's face. Mm. As Alex said, there's one, only one person who can do something about that, and that's him. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, let's uh, talk about the football then, because we saw another reasonably steady performance from the back line. I thought again, John Stones had a very impressive game. He seemed very calm in in that back line, even when. Uh, even when Colombia started to regain some of the play and even in extra time as well, they stuck to their guns at parts. But there were times where they let the game slip a little bit. And you made a, you made a comment, Alex, uh, I think Glenn Hoddle had uh, complimented John Stones and England for playing out from the back around, you know, 111 minutes in or something. Uh, and you made the point that, well, they haven't actually been doing that. Glenn Hoddle described it as their game plan and they're sticking to it but they hadn't really been doing it for 20 minutes. Is that a case of, is, is that the psychological? Is that, you know, going a goal down right at the end there um, and having to carry on playing? Or, or is that physical exhaustion? What do you think it is? I think it's partly physical. Uh, I think it's also partly the introduction <laughs> of Dyer, mm -hmm. which, um, 
you know, Henderson sits at the base of that midfield, but is much more of a passer yeah. of the ball. And we did see some of Dyer's passing in the Belgium game, but he he just isn't as good at that uh, mm. as as Henderson is. Um, I think as well, in a way, Colombia's issue in the first half particularly was that the back seven and the front three were very, very disjointed and separate. And that's mm. why Cuadrado moved centrally, to, to link that a little bit more. England, for probably different reasons, um, a, a slight kind of reticence of the back three to push forwards uh, in extra time, uh, the the lack of a Sterling-type figure to, mm-hmm. to drop in and collect it, that disjointed them as well. Mm-hmm. And so the the carrying was done by the wing-backs still, and they, they did well. Um but also, it, it just disjointed that effort to progress the ball in the way that their their style requires. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is that they didn't really resort to kind of long balls forward. Mm-hmm. It was more they just didn't get it out very much, and yeah. they kept turning over possession in the midfield area. Yeah. Um, so they looked like I mean, Colombia for me looked like they weren't really even in the game in the first half. It was. They know, weren't. I'm sure that's. I'm sure that was the game plan and. Of course, it, it, you could make the argument um, that because they came into it slightly more in the second half, that that was exactly what they would have intended to do from the beginning, is slow it down, make sure it was nil-nil at half-time, ease into the game from that point. Uh, let me ask you this, though. England's goal came from a penalty, Harry Kane, and it, you know it, I think we're all agreed it was a penalty. That's, what, the third time that that's happened so far? We had an interesting chat during the game, Uh because I was going to ask you if you were concerned at all about the lack of opportunities created during that game, the lack of open play chances created. I think what you might say reminds me of the conversation we were having during the game, which revolved around penalties. The point you made was that if England are winning penalties this frequently and scoring them, then that just goes to show that they are playing well. So I would weigh that against asking you whether you're concerned at all about in this game, the lack of open play chances created because without the penalty, um, and those decisions can go either way, without the penalty, we arguably wouldn't have scored. Yeah, and and I saw a tweet from Duncan Alexander, the Opta guy, who said that Kane's penalty was England's last shot on target in the game. Mm. And yes, there is a concern there. There were a couple of times when England were, you know, half a metre from... Um, for, actually, I'm just thinking about that because didn't... The Danny Rose thing did it that wasn't on target. So it didn't. No, okay. I don't think it was on target. I mean, there were there were a couple of chances like that. There were a couple of chances where had England just been half a meter further forward, um, Vardy obviously was caught offside. So there are some positional things about getting into the right spot. As the <laughs> game wears on, it's harder to get people forwards. Mm. It's without players making not just runs into the box, but runs off the ball in order to take markers away, you're less likely to get those opportunities. But what I said to you during the game was kind of to to enlarge on what you said, is that if you look at at rugby, for example, entries into the opponent's 22 or around that area, you know, a a penalty is seen as a a good outcome. Mm. Um, Obviously, the points difference in rugby, but it's, it's kind of a way of saying, you know, we are getting forwards and we're forcing the opposition to make mistakes. Yeah. And you can keep the scoreboard ticking over and win that way quite comfortably in rugby. Yeah. So for me, penalties in, in football are indicative that you're you're doing the right things, you're putting the opposition under pressure, you're forcing mistakes, or you're forcing you fouls. Keep getting them. 
particularly if you keep getting them. It's a it's a product of England's set piece superiority. Mm-hmm. The fact that those those penalties are coming by and large from those situations. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, look at the penalty that Mbappe won for France against Argentina. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the result of a really good aggressive piece of attacking play. Yeah, it didn't result in a shot on target initially, no. but you know, you force the opposition to make mistakes or to to make fouls by playing that way. Yeah. And and I so to me, if England. If England go the whole way and don't score an open play goal, I don't care. Well, Jamie Vardy, I think they already have, haven't they? Jesse no, Lingard but, but that. further to this <laughs> point. <laughs> um, Jamie Vardy came on, as you mentioned, uh, in the second half. We've seen him come on, come on a couple of times now, and it's been it's been interesting to think about how he plays within this system, because it's cl- it seems clear to me that in games in which the opposition aren't seeking to come out and aren't seeking to score a goal, that Jamie Vardy being substituted on into that sort of game isn't as useful. I mean, the argument here is that, he, well, he came on when England were 1-0 up. Of course, there was 1-1 and there was still an opportunity for Colombia to score in the first half of extra time. Colombia were coming out and playing. But how do you see Jamie Vardy sitting into this, fitting into this system? Because if you look at the route that England might take now, hypothetically, were they to make it to the final, <coughs> Sweden to come next are a team, again, who are probably going to sit quite deep. So does Jamie Vardy not really have much of a role to play in that unless the other team are coming out to chase? I think what was interesting was that Vardy's best moment, apart from the bit where he was caught offside, was that a long run he made into a channel um, from a diagonal ball that then uh, he managed to get across from. Mm. Um, and that's the sort of run that tends either to be made by the wing back or actually by one of the two more attacking midfielders. Mm. So I think Vardy's position is is slightly odd in that he's his natural inclination is either to kind of stay up around the box. Well, yes, if if teams are sitting very deep and and trying to create a kind of suffocating defence, that's not really going to work for Vardy. He works best in open spaces where games are, where teams are pushing up. Mm. Um, or he's doing something that's already kind of being done by somebody else if the system's working correctly. Yeah. Now, the argument there is that you bring him on to get him to do that on either side, Kane is dropping off, and then the, uh, the midfielders can push up centrally instead right. of having to tuck wide. Yeah. So I, I don't think it... I don't think it doesn't work, yeah. but I don't think England have yet played an opponent where that system uh, kind of suits the way that he plays. Yeah. Okay. Well, the game, <clears throat> the game went to penalties, uh, which means that Alex, I believe that is your point. Welcome back to winning points. It's been a while, hasn't it? Thank uh, you. Philippe is on eight, I believe. You and I are on four. You're on five. I'm on five. Mm. Look at that. That's nice. Check out there. Okay. So on Saturday, England are going to be playing Sweden now, facing them in the quarterfinals. We know Sweden as a, uh, a very organised and defensive team. Is it going to be a case of England trying to break them down? Maybe, again, hoping for an early goal to open the game up a little bit? Yeah, I think England will be... Uh, my, look, if there's one thing that I, I've taken away so far from most of what we've watched, it's that Southgate is a very well-prepared coach. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yes, he's he's made a couple of decisions that I personally would disagree with, but I mean that does that means fuck all in sure. the context of stuff. So he's going to know exactly what Sweden's strengths and weaknesses are. Um, he's going to know that they sit deep, that they defend two banks of four narrow. Mm. <clears throat> they look to work the break. They're not going to force the issue if they don't have men over. Yeah, uh, I think England will will dominate possession. I think they'll look to push nice and high. 
Uh, Do you think this will be an easier game than the one we've just seen? I don't think Sweden will play like Colombia. No. Uh, I don't I don't think they'll be uh nearly as aggressive. Yeah. I think they'll try and play football when they can. Yeah. Um they'll pose a problem from set pieces again and I think that's an area that England do need to look at now. Okay. Um because But you know, Southgate's been responsive so far, hasn't he to any problems we've seen so Yeah, I mean this is what the third goal that England <laughs> have conceded from a set piece. Uh, I, like I know Yerry Mina is particularly good in the air and particularly good at scoring from set all, pieces. All but the Columbia strikers lost all the Columbia players lost their runners in that though. When you when you rewatch yeah. that goal there were three Columbia players jumping in the same area and there weren't England faces to be seen. So. Yeah and, and Maguire got got done quite badly there. I think they were concerned, and I'm sure perhaps this is something that Southgate said to them as well, is that, look, if we're going to make a big deal out of getting pulled down, if that's going to be happening to us, mm-hmm. it's going to happen across the whole game and it goes both ways. Yeah. And you get to the last minute, you don't hang on to anyone. Ironically, that is what enabled England to score against Tunisia. seems to me today that's perhaps what has enabled Colombia to score against England. Yeah, possibly. Um I mean, I think he'll go away and look at at, at the marking on set pieces um, because that is an area that that Sweden will look to exploit. But I think if England, if England can get very high, can squeeze the the um, Swedish fullbacks, stop mm-hmm. them being the kind of classic out ball. If Sweden are looking to recycle possession, make sure that um, Toivonen and particularly can't orchestrate breaks supported by Forsberg running mm-hmm. off and inside. Um, I, I I can't see Sweden being as difficult. Okay, Phil, mm-hmm. is it coming home? Uh, it's, it's a lot closer, isn't it? Do you think we can make it to the final? Yeah, I should think so. Yeah. Um, there'd be a lot of people who would say the Croatia would probably be the favourites on that side to get to the final. That having been said, we saw a lot of not brilliant performance from them the other day. So um, for me, I'd say the England are um, favourites for the final now. Yeah. Okay, great, Alex. No. No, what do you mean, no? I mean, Croatia will beat England in the semi-final. Really? Well, lucky for us, you are uh, lagging behind <laughs> in our prediction. Tally. I got this one right. There, you didn't did I? get this one right. You did get this one right, although I feel that you shouldn't have. Um, okay, well, tomorrow morning there's no football, and I've just remembered that. Uh, it's Friday, what did you say the first game was, Phil? Uh, France versus Uruguay. France versus Uruguay's first game on Friday, so we should probably make predictions for that now. That's a bit scary. It's two games in a row for you, Phil, where you're going to have to be clutching your testicles That's tight good. to your legs. I'll be squeezing my testicles very, very, very tightly. <laughs> uh, uh, well, in uh, that case, I'm going to start with you. 2-1 to France. 2-1 to France. Like, you love a 2-1. It explains why he's doing so well, doesn't it, Alex? <laughs> Alex, what mad prediction are you going to give us now? You, I know you're going know for a Uruguay win, yeah. and I think you're going to say 1-0. Yeah. Yeah. You're so readable. <laughs> okay, I'm going to say 4-0 France. <laughs> <coughs> That's so silly. Just to be clear, um, Alex laughed a lot there that he had to have a coughing fit, but I'm going to have to cut that out because it will be unlistenable. <laughs> Just want you to know that... Uh, wow, look laugh. at the spikes. I know, yeah, those are called waveforms, and you've peaked one there. Because... It looks like an occasion when you do a clap to start again, and yeah. it looks... Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's good for me because it signifies when I need to cut out Alex's <laughs> horrifying chest cough. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, uh, that's that. It's coming home. Yeah. yeah. I realised I didn't ask myself that question. Joe, is it coming home? Yes, yes, it is. Yes, it is coming home. It's coming home via the Royal Mail and whatever other <laughs> English thing I can think of because I'm such a patriot. Okay. Uh, well, we will be back. There's no podcast tomorrow or Thursday. But we'll be uh, we'll be taking a couple of days off, and we will be back with you on Friday. 
podcast about those games. France, Uruguay, and the other one is... Uh, Brazil versus Belgium. Brazil, Belgium. Goodness me, it's getting exciting now, isn't it? Uh, right. Well, that'll do. We're at the Old Red Lion. Do come on down. We won't be here tomorrow or the day after, so it's a perfect time for you to come. And, uh, yeah, see you on Friday. Bye-bye.